It's an honor to be able to speak to each campus. What's up, Maple Grove? What's up, Elk River? And I've been hearing from people recently that watch online because they had to stay home because they were sick or something. What's up on your couch? (laughs) It's good to be together with my family today. We are on week number two of Escape. Last week, we talked about the traps that we get stuck into. Sometimes they're early on in our life. We never get out of it. We're stuck at a certain season or stage. And we find freedom when we turn to Jesus and understand that the traps that are out there don't need to be permanent. A trap is any device or strategy or pathway that catches a person. But Jesus offers a way out. In fact, our foundational verse was 1 Corinthians 10, 13, which says, no temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is what? God is what? Faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. What we believe is not only that, there, yeah, there are traps and there are places we get stuck and there are things we get kind of caught into, but the Bible points us back to freedom, to escape, that there are pathways, exits to that highway that you've been stuck on. There's avenues towards freedom or escape that are available to all of us. And today I want to turn the corner and I want us to begin to look about the process a little bit the process of how do we overcome temptation, the traps that are around us, how do we discover escape from those things that we're in. And piggybacking from last week, it's gonna begin with humility. Jesus gave the story of two different people praying. One was a Pharisee that knew all the law and he stood in the public square and he prayed as if he knew it all and God didn't hear his prayer. And Jesus shared about another guy that was called a sinner And the sinner, the tax collector, said, hey, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he sat there, and he was humble before God. And Jesus essentially said, I heard the guy that's humble, not the one that's proud. And you and I have to discover, if we're going to move towards escape, discover the process of escape, that it all begins with humility. No lying. Sometimes we lie to ourselves, we lie to the people around us, we want to put on a show outwardly. But the reality is, if we're going to escape, We have to start with humility. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's okay to be humble. (laughs) All traps have a process. It starts with bait of some sort that lures us into a trap. It could be anything, even innocent things. And it almost never is as bad when it's advertised, but it becomes much worse once you take the product. Ultimately, it attracts you towards something. It pulls you in. It's attractive. 1 John 2.16, the writer says something about those things that kind of pull us in. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. There's three things found in that verse that are the things that pull us in. The first is the lust of the flesh, or craving physical pleasure. That pulls us in. The second was the lust of the eyes, which is craving the stuff that you see out there. And then the third is the pride of life, or pride in achievements and possessions. Those things pull us in. Now, uh, in Alaska, in the north, uh, the natives called Eskimos, 
um, have issues with wolves. And the wolves uh, uh, attack the things in their, their community. And instead of trying to lay traps for wolves, what they do is they take a knife and they sharpen the knife on both sides, so sharp to, to the touch it would cause you to bleed. And then what they do is, Eskimos, they take a stick and they, they build kind of a, their trap. First service, everybody's like, oh, Pastor Nate, don't cut yourself. I'll try not to, Pastor Ben. He was worried about it. My dad's here, dad, I'll try not to cut myself. But basically what they do is they get it, this is the part <laughs> they get worried about. And, uh, and they, they take that knife, and by the way, this knife I did not sharpen. I'm just a kid with these things, so we have to be careful. And what they do is they put it on the end of a stick, and then they dip it in blood. And then they stick it out in the cold, in the snow, jam it in, and then the wolves smell the blood. The wolves come and they smell the blood and they lick the blood and they keep licking. And they lick and pretty soon they're licking their own blood and they don't know it and they bleed to death. That's the way sin works. It gets you on the front end with the smell and eventually it's your own blood that you're tasting. It's affecting you and drawing you in. There's a process to it. And as it pulls you in, it feels good to taste the anger and the bitterness, but the more you bite, the closer to death you become because you act on the temptation. You don't just hear gossip, you pass the gossip on. And then you're stuck. You're in the habit of chasing bait and it helps you feel good temporarily, but ultimately it leads to death. For this week, I want to look at how Jesus handled temptation without taking the bait. How did Jesus escape? See, Jesus is just like us. One of the things that I know, when I look at Jesus, I think of not just somebody who saves me from my sin, but someone who I can follow his example. Perhaps you grew up in a family where the examples that you had, the models that you had, weren't really good for you, and you kinda still carry out the habits that you inherited from your parents. And you're like, but I never had a good example. Uh, I, I, I don't have a pastor living in my house telling me how to live. Thank you, Jesus, right? <laughs> but we all can say we have Jesus. Jesus is our sensei. Jesus is our teacher. Jesus is our model. He's our Yoda. Hello. He is the one that can help us move towards freedom and escape. He faced the same things that Adam and Eve faced. In fact, those three things talked about in 1 John 2.16 are things that were in the garden when Adam and Eve were tempted. Those three things Jesus overcame. He faced those same things. And not only that, he understands us, but he did not sin. Hebrews 4 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. 
Have you ever caught yourself thinking, nobody else has the pain I have? Nobody else experiences what I experience. Nobody else understands the temptations that I go through. Nobody else has to experience what I do. And I'm just telling you this, Jesus was tempted just like you. And he found a way of escape. He did not sin. So I want you to turn with me today as I want to show one example of how Jesus overcame in Luke chapter 4. In fact, take your Bibles out and turn there if you would. I'm tempted right now because some people have stopped bringing their Bibles to church to stop putting it on the screen. Maybe I'll stop putting the scriptures on the screen so that you can pull your Bibles out and actually read for yourself. Don't let me do all the reading for you. You need to start, bring your Bible to church. Turn to the person next to you and say, he's talking about you. <laughs> Luke chapter four. This is what I call round two of Jesus versus Satan. Round one was when Jesus was born, Satan tried to wipe him out with genocide and take him out, kill him. And God provided a way of escape. His parents took him to Egypt and he came back home. And this is round two. Round two, Jesus is led by the Spirit out into the desert. You'll see in here that he's fasted for 40 days. And he now has a confrontation with Satan. Verse one, then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. How many know if you didn't eat for 40 days, you would be hungry too, right? So he's hungry, he's fasting. And by the way, spiritual fasting is not like a diet. Um, your body actually goes into hibernation. Some people don't. I've, I've actually gained weight on a fast before. You're like, that is so weird, Pastor Nate, but it's true. Your body begins to conserve everything. So it's not a diet plan. It's a way to, to take the temptations of the flesh, of your body, your mind. How many know your mind wars at you sometimes? And to shut it down enough so that your spirit can come to the forefront. Your spirit is what will live forever. Okay? And to pay attention to every time there's a hunger pain, it's a clue that we need more of God. And so this, this moment of fasting put him in a place, he's still hungry though. He's still crying out for something, he's crying out. And listen, if Jesus was tempted, you need to understand this, living right does not equal avoiding temptation. The fact that you're in temptation does not mean there's something wrong. The fact you're in a difficult season does not mean there's something bad, that you're evil and that God is mad at you. The Holy Spirit led Jesus to a place of temptation, testing. This was spirit-led, okay? You're like, why would God do that to me? Well, we need to follow Jesus. He's our example and see what he does. Because following Jesus means you're gonna have challenges in life. If you got saved and you followed Jesus and you thought, everything's going to be better. I'm going to win the lottery this week. I'm going to lose weight easily. I'm never going to argue with people around me. How many of you know that is not following Jesus? That's, I, I don't know what that is. That hasn't happened to me yet, okay? <laughs> There's going to be challenges. And he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. 
And while he's there, verse three, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. Test number one is the lust of the flesh. Turn this stone into bread, feed your belly. Now, hidden within this is a really interesting thing. Jesus is hungry, so guess what the enemy tempts him with? Something for his belly. And then if you, it's really kind of twisted because the enemy is talking to him, Satan is, and Satan is, or the devil, Satan and the devil, same person. Satan is saying to him, if you are the son of God, how many know he is the son of God? He is. What do you mean, if you are the son of God? But because he's in a weak place, physically, because he's been alone, he's more vulnerable to his hunger pains. There are times that you're more vulnerable than other times. Times when you're not in community with other believers are vulnerable times. If you go study how in the wild, uh, wolves will attack sheep or animals. They don't attack them in the pack. They attack them when the one wanders away. It's the vulnerable ones. And so when we're in a place of vulnerability, that's when the attack comes in. But listen, he wanted to give it to him now. Jesus was led to fast from food. Now Satan comes in, he's hungry, and he offers him to turn the stone into the bread. And that isn't time for that yet. And let me tell you this. Every sin can be traced to impatience. Every sin can be changed. We gotta have it now. We must have it now. That's our entire marketing system in America. You can have it now. You can have everything right now. Just throw that credit card down. And you can buy that thing. You can have everything now. Now how many know there's a consequence to that? But it says, I want, I want to push you to have something now. It's the lust of the flesh. It's an appetite. I deserve to have this now. And all of us have different appetites, desires to do things, things we want to do. But feeding your appetite does not equal your best move. Feeding your appetite does not equal your best move. See, we're in a culture where whatever feels right, do it. You're driving down the road and you're a little bit hungry and you, you're thinking about this billboard that is a hot fudge sundae. And the very next thing you see is Culver's. And you're like, this must be Jesus. <laughs> right? Your appetite is saying, go and doing it. You know, five minutes before you're like, I am going to be disciplined. I'm gonna say no to sweets. And the very next thing, your appetite wants to take you somewhere. It's not always better for you, but your appetite is that nonetheless. We all have appetites. We have appetites for a certain kind of entertainment. We have appetites for a certain type of activities. We have appetites. Appetites can be good and appetites can be bad. Appetites actually can be changed. You could be somebody that has an appetite for alcohol. But that alcohol, if you stop doing it and you replace it with something else, you can begin to crave water. And water can be good to you. 
When I was a kid growing up, I hated anything that was vegetable, especially salads. But I'll actually eat salads now. Did you know salads can taste good? Throw a little bit of egg on there, a little protein. You know, get a little, some good stuff on there. The salad actually is digestible, right? Your appetites, my point is this. If we obey our appetites as our God, it will take us to places where we lick the knife. All we'll do is feed ourselves. That's not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus resists those things. Sometimes we can have legitimate needs that we fill illegitimately. I just need to be loved. And so you find yourself in the arms of another person doing things that you know the word says is not good for you. And you fill a legitimate need for companionship illegitimately. It's an appetite. We can convince ourselves it's called self-deception. The most important action is filling our appetite as if that's the best thing for us. And it's not. And saying no to immediate gratification is almost a foreign concept in our day. Look at how Jesus passes test number one. Verse four, but Jesus told him, no. <laughs> the scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone. And in Matthew, another account, another gospel, the same story, Matthew four, adds this, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus declares that your first source is God and his word. Now this isn't just a preacher saying you need to read the Bible more and more and more and more and more. This is saying in the middle of your appetite, you're tempted to go crave something to make you feel better and it may for a moment. Or you can go to what God's word says and understand his word and it will feed you in such a way as you can say no. Too many people just wanna say no, and then when they give in, they give up, stop trying, all they do is say no, you gotta say yes to something else. You can't just say no. You know, back in, when I was a kid in the 1980s, I remember a campaign by a first lady, just say no to drugs. And I did, I never started. But I had friends that started saying yes and started controlling their life. And they tried to stop when they felt that there was something bad going on with them. But because they didn't fill the void of what they were doing with something else, it owned them even more. And friends, I'm just saying this. The word of God is more than just something the preacher preaches. The word of God is something you need for your source of life. People shall not live by bread alone. Jesus declares he's your first source. Where do we gain peace? Is it in a temporary world? Where do we really put our hope? In momentary escape? In our appetites? Satan loves to tempt people with what God has forbidden. And the only way that you will know that God has forbidden it is if you read the word. And some people in here, I just want you to encourage you when I say read the word, I'm not saying you need to read a book of the Bible every day. In fact, I, there are days I don't read the Bible. Oh, shocker. Throw it out on Twitter, you know. <laughs> There's days I don't get in 
my reading time. I attempt to every morning get up and pray. And I do spend time reading the word. But I've found Bible reading plans. I'll listen to the word while I'm driving. There are th- other ways to get the Bible into my, my thinking process. But I want the Bible to be more than just something I hear. I want it to be something that goes in me. And when I read it, the more I read it, the more I want it. The more I read it, the more appetite I have for it. The more I realize I need it. And then I start recognizing the devil when he's throwing out knives with blood on them in the snow. I start recognizing and I see beyond it before I take my first lick. Why? Because the word of God is protecting me. It's going in me. It's enabling me to say no as I say yes to it. And by the way, part of the challenge with impatience and sin is that we don't trust that God has the bigger picture in mind, that he's got this. And when we're in that kind of mode, we're tempted to do something to take it for ourselves. I gotta deal with this now. I've gotta make this happen. I gotta tell them off. I gotta do something about this. And we're tempted to do it when God hasn't led us to do it. And Jesus just said, live by God's word, trust in him, trust that he'll help you. When God's plan takes time, sometimes in our impatience, we make poor choices that veer us off the path. We need to remember that he is faithful to finish what he started in us. In those moments of impatience, turn back to the word and remember the same one who started it will finish it. Amen? I'm gonna run from temptation, but run to the word. Don't just run from temptation, run to the word. Second test that Jesus faced, look at verse five. He says this, it says this. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. This is the lust of the eyes. It's the lust of the eyes. So what he's doing, he's saying, look at all this stuff and I will give it to you. It's kind of ironic because how many know as the son of God, he owns it all anyways, right? But it, and I can imagine, you know, I, I own a lot of things in our house. We pay bills and, um, and we, we pay the cell phone bill in our house for our kids and we pay, we pay for car insurance now that most of them are driving. And, and, but, you know, every once in a while, kids want to test our authority and and they want to go, I'm going here. But they are asking if they can go there. And they, well, whenever that is at whatever time it is, or they want to do something. And I go, excuse me? Who's paying that insurance bill? Who's paying that cell phone bill? And you're trying to tell me what you're going to do? Oh, I know none of you parents ever felt like that. <laughs> I just imagine Satan trying to, the devil trying to say it to Jesus. You can have all of this. And you're like, this is kind of an ironic scripture. How did Jesus not just send thunderbolts down and lightning and kill him? Imp, you stupid mug. What are you? What are you? You know? But it wasn't his time yet. And I want you to see something in this. When we are in a place where we've been fasting and we haven't yet seen fulfilled what our dreams of our heart are, 
That's when the bait is dangled in front of us. It's when we're alone and we're vulnerable. And right at that time, we're feeling insecure. I know nobody here ever feels insecure. But when we're insecure, we become irrational. We get jealous of other people. We get threatened by other people. We're threatened by the the bills and we're overwhelmed in that moment. And right about then, this is when the devil comes out and he goes, look what you can have. You see things that aren't in your boat yet. You see other things and you want those things and you are tempted to reach out for those things. And How many know Jesus didn't need to ask the devil to do anything for him because he owned it all anyways, but in his humanness, he had just fasted and now there is a temptation. Now it comes in. This is exactly the way it works with us. When you have not had enough sleep and you are vulnerable or you haven't had community Christian community with other believers or pray perhaps something negative has happened in your life or you've lost a loved one and now you are vulnerable. That's when the enemy comes in and says, hey, just do a line of that Coke. Just go there on the internet. Just cheat on your spouse. Just do something because you can get it quickly and it wasn't God that led you to do it. That's when the bait is dangled there and you are tempted to forget who you are. This is the most important part of my message today. To not forget who you are in your vulnerable places. Jesus passes the test, look at verse eight. Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. In other words, Jesus is saying, there is no replacement for him. I will not bow to you. I won't look to any other source. There is only one place. I will worship him. I'm not gonna worry about all that stuff because he is Jehovah Jireh, my provider. I'm not gonna spend my time listening to all the things you're dangling in front of me because I know he he knows what's best for me. And if I follow him, he'll get me where I need to go. It may not feel that way in the present tense, but I'm not gonna take the bait. going to let the hood go in my jaw. I am going to trust and worship him and him only. I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 13. There's a scripture here that I think you can, you can swim in and out of and chew on all week long. Romans chapter 13. Paul is speaking to the Roman, the Christians in a new world, the Gentiles, the people that are Got all kinds of crazy stuff happening in our culture. It's just like today. And he says this in Romans 13, verse 12. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes. Put, them on, put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day. I want you to say that phrase with me. Because we belong to the day. Say it again. Because we belong to the day. 
We must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. This is very interesting language. It says... Though you're in darkness and salvation and light is on the way, don't forget you belong to the light. See, darkness has a way of dulling our senses. And we see it, it's all messed together. And then when, when the dark is out there and we're pulled in or our friends are pulled in or the people around us are pulled in, we're like, we're losing. And we forget that we don't belong to the dark. We belong to the day. We don't belong to the dark. We belong to the day. And even those of us that come to Jesus Christ, we come to him in our darkness and we receive the grace and mercy of Jesus and he accepts us into his family. He's the one that takes the dark out and puts the light in. He's the one by his grace. It wasn't our works. However, after salvation, we walk in a world of darkness. And at times, we find ourselves doing what we used to do, thinking what we used to think. And we catch ourselves wondering if we've left the light. And now we are in the dark. And when we're in the dark, all is lost. The sky is falling. And I might as well give up on myself. And this scripture would say to you, no, while you're in the middle of your cycle and you've got some darkness back here, throw it off and remember you belong to the light. Belonging is a, a term of ownership. You are owned by the kingdom of God. You are his chosen daughter. You are one that he died for. You are captured. You are owned by God's kingdom. You belong to the light. And when you're in your downward spiral and you feel like you're away, just remember in the middle of it, wait a second, I don't belong to this stuff. I belong to the light. I am his daughter. I am his son. I know who I am. I know who I am. It's not you trying to be something you're not. You belong to the day. It's aligning your thoughts back to who you really are. Jesus did that. I'll worship the Lord and him only. Test number three, verse nine, the pride of life. It says, <clears throat> the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold you up with their hands so that you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. This test is the pride of life. Basically, the devil is trying to get Jesus to show off. Put your hope and your confidence and your achievements and your possessions. It's arrogance. It's pride. It's the greatest challenge for those of us that follow Jesus is to not fall into arrogance and pride. 
And Satan loves to help us move God off the throne of our hearts and put us in. We can begin to compare ourselves to others and feel justified because of our sacrifice. We get to do what we want. We become the judge of right and wrong of everybody around us. We're high and mighty. Friends, our culture is full of pride today. Around the America, everybody's pointing the finger at everybody else. It's nothing but pride. Run away from that. Get away from that. Staining us, it's weighing us down. It's what offered, Satan offered Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6, you say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you, and even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. We cannot become slaves even to our freedom. Galatians 5, for you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Once you see how Jesus passes the test of pride, verse 12 of Luke 4, Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not Test the Lord your God. And when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. It's interesting to me that the devil used scripture against Jesus, but Jesus came back at him with scripture. And basically he said this, God will not show off. He's not gonna be a bellhop that just does whatever I ask him at any moment. He's one to be worshiped and served. And we have a responsibility to confront our traps, friends, the devil and our habits with the truth of God's word. We'll escape and the devil will leave. I love this verse in Luke 4 because it says, the devil left him until another time. How many know there's more rounds to the fight? And sometimes we get tired of fighting and but when you feel it coming up and things are happening, recognize what it is and confront it with the word of God, the truth of God's word. We've not only been set free, but we cannot go back into slavery. Galatians 5. Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. We need to choose to stay free. Here's how I want to end our message today. As I was praying for this series, and we're going to talk about some more hidden things next week. Very excited about next week. Practical things related to bitterness and anger and taking the bait of Satan and being offended and stuff like that. Um, but I felt like one of the things that I wanted to challenge you to is to not being a victim. I think we have a victimization culture that anytime there's a victim, we wanna do a hashtag for something or we wanna get mad at people and we, get it, and we want somebody to pay for their, their penalty, but we don't wanna deal with us, right? We just wanna be free. But we're not free if we're a victim. And Jesus has made us more than conquerors, overcomers. And so what I wanna challenge you to do, if you're caught in a trap, 
or temptation is around you and you've given in, or you have a family member or a friend that is giving in and you don't know what to do, don't ignore it. Don't just go, eh, it's no big deal, or that's just who I am, or I'm just, guess I'm gonna be in the dark. Remind yourself of who you are and go, I am a child of the light. My daughter, my son, my friend, I claim them for the light. They might be getting wiped out by the devil right now, but I'm not gonna give in to that. Devil, I'm gonna confront you with the word. And the word of God says that by his stripes we're healed. The word of God says that as a child of God, my sins are washed away. So when the enemy's fighting you and saying things in your ear and saying stuff about you, your job isn't just to roll over and let him kick you around. It's time to kick some devil tail. It's time for you to get off your butt and begin to say, I am not a victim, I am a child of God. And declare his truth over your life. I think it's time today on each of our campuses, those that are watching online, it's time for you in a sense to get up off the couch and simply begin to say, no, 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 no. I am over it, not today, Satan, not today. I am more than a conqueror through him who loved me. Jesus, the one that I follow and I serve, went into hell itself, snatched the keys of death, hell in the grave, and came back to life victorious. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. So whatever you're saying ain't the truth. I'm not giving in to it. Not today, Satan. I am a victor, not a victim. I don't have to let the pain of the past control my future. I am a son of God. I am a daughter of heaven. My kids are God's kids. I even though they might be on the run and they're making the wrong decision. I'm not giving in to that anymore. I'm declaring God's word over their life that the prodigals will come home. That God's heart beats for those sheep that leave the flock. That there is a, a love from heaven that cares about people. He cares about the one who has left the 91.9, I'm not giving in. I'm not letting the wolf take it over. I will stand and be who he has called me to be. I'm a victor. I am a victor. You may have an addiction on your life. You might have anger ruling your heart. You might have stuff in your soul that you feel weak to. But let me tell you, the more you lean into God's word, the more you declare his truth over your life, the less it holds on to you, and the more you live in the light, the more you experience his freedom, the more you reject it. Friends, I think it's time to fight. I think it's, I just felt like that was the word today. It's time to fight. Call the people to fight. Don't just get kicked around. Fight the devil. Fight Jesus' way. Fight his way. Would you stand with me today?